0: Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 43, an interview with Michelle Dimitrio. My name is Jessie Ellertson and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. It's time for another interview, you guys. I have a treat for you today. I had the opportunity a few months ago to interview my friend Michelle Dimitrio, who is a life coach and a military mom. So we're just going to get right in it, and I hope that you guys enjoy. We're gonna go ahead and get started. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast today, Michelle. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm gonna introduce you a little bit and then we wanna hear a lot more about you. So today I have on Michelle Demetrio and she is a life coach like me, and she also has a son who was in the military for nine years, and she's gonna share with us some of her experiences being a military mother. So welcome, Michelle. And would you mind just telling us a little bit more about, about you and, and who you are and some of your experiences in the military? We'll just start there.
1: Hi, I'm Michelle Demetrio. Jesse Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I was a military mom. My son decided in eighth grade, and we didn't come, he didn't come from a family that, um, you know, w- my father did serve in World War II, but we weren't a military family, and right. he decided. Eighth grade, that he wanted to go to West Point, and um, he he did he was accepted, and um, that was an amazing four year experience. And then um, you know he had to serve five years after that, mm-hmm. and in those five years he had various jobs. And um, about midway through those five years, he was deployed to Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and um, he he was a, a ranger, and airborne, and um, he did some competitions for best ranger, and you know it's, it was amazing experience, but a, a tough one at the same time.
0: Yeah. How did it feel for you and that as that eighth grader came to you and said mom I'm going to West Point and like all that that involves?
1: Ironically, I had a college roommate whose uh, husband—they were later married—ended um, up going to West Point, and so I had actually been to West Point a couple of oh, times.
0: Oh, wow. so you had so a little was, bit of context. A
1: little bit of context. Mm-hmm. A little bit. <laughs> Let me uh, say that for sure. It was a very little <laughs> bit. And I just said, "Well, do you realize all that that entails?" And you know, he actually had kind of done his homework on that. And then uh, we we moved, and he met a kid who's, who's older than him that was tr- trying to get into West Point and had an older brother at West Point. And then this fella kind of became a mentor to him. Oh, cool. And um, Then it was just, it was like, oh, there, there can't be anything else. And I just remember every night he would say, you know, starting in his junior year when he had to drop his packet for West Point, it was, oh my gosh, do you think I'm going to get in West Point? What if I don't get in West Point? You know, so it was a real passion and he had an experience where he went to a summer, I think it's called summer leadership seminar, the see his, Summer before his senior year. And that was a great experience because, as a civilian, I, I joke and say they were allowed to treat a civilian as badly as they possibly could. Oh, but uh, It was an amazing experience, though, because I don't think, certainly, an academy, and that's really all I can speak to in that respect, is, is certainly not for everyone. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine a more miserable place if it's not your passion. And that was a great experience because he really, real, I mean, it just sealed the deal for him that that is exactly what he wanted.
0: Wow. It's cool to see that there can be so much opportunity in that misery like you said if it's your passion. Like exactly. if it's not your passion you're just going to be miserable but if it is what you want then that there's a huge opportunity there. That's so cool.
1: It was a calling, you know, that's yeah. what it came that's how it really felt for me for with, mm-hmm. when I saw his this passion.
0: That's so cool. I also like how you mentioned that he did his research. I remember when I first let one of my close friends know that, you know, we've decided to join the military. We were married when we joined. And she said, you know, that means he could get deployed, right? And I was like, yeah. Like when you make this decision, you know, you're signing up for the whole package. And like, it sounds like your son really was able to see what all that it would involve as he, as he headed toward that decision. I mean, you don't sign up thinking I'll sign up, but hopefully I won't. I won't ever get deployed. Like they sign up to go. It's yes, so cool. and it's
1: fascinating too because he signed up um, in a time of war. Yeah, and uh, then midway through his the five years that he had served um, <clears throat> post post West Point, um, he was his fear was that he wouldn't be deployed.
0: Right, and amazing?
1: I I liken that to a surgeon going through years and years of training and study, and you know their goal is to do surgery, and that they're never allowed to do surgery, and yeah. that's exactly what it would have been devastating for him. And, and I found that with many of the people that he was working, you know, working with and the people he'd gone to school with as well. It was, if they had not gotten deployed, it would have been absolutely devastating.
0: Yeah. It's an essential.
1: Yeah. It's hard as a mom to hear, you know, you want your child to, to achieve everything that they want to achieve and experience what they want to experience, but to hear your child want to be deployed. Yeah. it is was It was a staggering thing,
0: yeah, especially to a war zone. That's it's very it's humbling like you're very proud of them. I'm sure you know I'm, I'm proud of my husband when he expresses those same sentiments, but it's also it's very challenging it
1: is it is yeah.
0: okay well let's talk about his deployment for a minute. I mean it sounds like he had a pretty you know exciting career with West Point and then the five years after um, but the main thing I like to focus on with my listeners is dealing with deployment, dealing with the hard things that come with deployment and how we really will battle our brains during that time. Now, when he was deployed, you didn't have these life coaching tools. Is that correct?
1: Oh, I did. That you not. know
0: now. What <laughs> you <laughs> <was laughs> saying. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, now, I mean, you can look back now and see what a difference that would make. But let's just talk about the Michelle you were at the time as you went through. How long was he in Afghanistan?
1: He was in Afghanistan, I believe, for nine months.
0: Nine months. Okay. And what year was this?
1: That would have, um, I can tell you, June 29th, 2013, he deployed. You're like, Did I've I
0: got mean? the date. It's solid right here. <laughs> Those kind of things, we they, they just are, they've got a spot in our brain and they, they stay oh, there. Forever. So in 2013. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that deployment, what it was like for you as a mother and worrying, wondering, not having all the information you want. I don't know, just how did that go for you? What was that experience like?
1: Well, you know, initially I felt like I was so prepared by West Point because there was such a support system there. But then when, it, when, that, you know, when that call is made and you know it's going to happen It's like all of that does kind of go out the window. And again, again, I didn't have the tools I have today. So I probably wasn't managing my mind very well. That day was one of, I can honestly say, one of the hardest days of my life. And it was about two or three days before I felt like I even had myself back. Yeah, Um, and you know, I I was very happy for him, ironically, and proud of him because it's what he wanted. But it, you know, when it when it really came time for it, it was just so so difficult. And you know, you imagine the worst. You know, always imagine the worst. And you know, so that was a very very tough time for me. And he went over there as a ranger and a platoon leader, and then he got this job. I remember him calling. He said, "I probably won't get it, but I've got to go to uh, Kabul and." Cobble and you know interview for it, and it was an aide to camp, and he mm. um, worked along a brigadier general, alongside mm. of a brigadier general, and was his aide. And everybody's like, "Oh, that's so great!" Well, he was in the air all the time all over all the war zones, and then he's with a brigadier general. And there was a time at that point, sometime in uh, during that, that, that you know, um, an Afghani soldier had gone in and just shot a lot of a lot of leaders and so forth, and so I felt like. My my experience with him having that job was completely different. I felt like he had a target on his back in a yeah. way, you yeah. know? So, and this, this fella did something with all the Western war zones. So it was an honor that he got that job, but it was, so scary to me. And it was so, I felt so blessed that we could FaceTime and that was infrequent, but it, we were able to, you know, I was able to see him and I could see his happiness and his passion and, you know, and he was very, very tight lipped about what was going on yep. and uh, didn't talk, you know, didn't really, didn't talk to me about that at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then just, you would, you would hear about deaths and so forth. And it's always, you know, and, and fortunately, a lot of times he could, uh, I believe, text or maybe, I believe he could text or maybe he emailed and just said, you know, you're going to hear about this. I'm fine. That was always so reassuring. So reassuring. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just tough, just tough, you know, mm-hmm. there was, you know, just w- during that time, it was just tough. I just wanted him out of there. But at the same time, I wanted him to do what he wanted to do. And it was very conflicting.
0: Yeah. And you could tell that he was having the experience that he wanted to be having, but it's so it's challenging for you, but but also for him probably in ways as well.
1: Oh, and I'm sure, you know, and, and I know when he came back and I asked him about that, and he just said, I saw plenty and that's all I want to say. Yeah. You know, and yeah. That is, and it, to this day, that's all he's ever said to me.
0: Yeah. I talk to my clients and my listeners a lot about with the challenge of the communication, how hard that can be to maintain that connected feeling, that connection there. And that's really one of the elements of it is, Sometimes they can't talk about what they're experiencing, and sometimes they're just unwilling. And both are totally, you know, understandable. But it can make creating that connection really difficult, and it feels like then your relationship is suffering. And so I talk to them a lot about how they can create connection beyond those challenging circumstances, and that I think that's oh. been really empowering for them. I would have loved
1: to have had that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did, did you find that to be the case? You kind of felt distant from him when you weren't able to oh, it was, connect it, the way you usually it was did. Like,
1: you know, it was such a disconnect. And it was mm-hmm. so, it was so difficult as a mom that had been a very involved mom in my kids' lives. And I felt like I have three sons and uh, they're very, very close in age. And they, they always had shared a lot with me, I felt. Yes. And to not, not have that um, same level of communication and connection was, you know, and I, I guess I just kind of fooled myself when he was stateside or when he was at West Point that, you know, we were able to communicate regularly and we still had an open, that really open communication. And then when he was deployed and that just shifted so drastically, it yes. was really, really tough. And, and you know, you want to be respectful. And at the same time, I so wanted to just have that feeling of connection with him.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think another thing that's so powerful that I help my, my clients understand is like, you rationally understand why they can't speak to you or why the conversations can be challenging. And yet you're still feeling really conflicted about it. And that's, that's a, like a very tumultuous place to come from. So as soon as they're able to understand, like, I can rationally understand why we're struggling, like why it feels hard to connect. And then here's what I can do about it instead of just like, so then what, you know, nothing to be done really is where they're coming from. Is that kind of a, a disempowered place of what What can I do to connect? Because he can't talk, you know? And especially,
1: I mean, okay. I'm a mom. I can't even imagine as a spouse. Yeah. You know, I know he was. He had a very serious girlfriend at the time and they're now married. Oh, she, Nice incredibly, I mean, oh. throughout it all, so incredibly supportive.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, it,
1: it, it, she was a, she was very communicative with me and we really did support one another. I felt like, mm-hmm. but again, you know, we didn't have the tools that you're offering your clients. Yeah we didn't have those tools and even the resources, I would say. So it was, it was really wonderful to, to have someone that loved and cared about him, Yeah, to have that connection. And at the same time, you know, as a spouse, I, I really can't even wrap my head around what mm-hmm. that would, you know, a, of course, communication for a mom is important, but communication for a relationship with a spouse your with a you know and just having the absence of that i can't
0: yeah. comprehend they're both very very difficult. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you a little bit about you'd mentioned that you weren't a military family i mean your your father had served, but right. you know it wasn't it wasn't really in your family, and I was wondering, as far as like as well within your friends like you're just it wasn't like a military community that you guys were were in and so was this as, as your son went through these experiences and as you went through these experiences, did you find that you tried to help them understand what it was like? Did they, Or, or did you just kind of like keep them separate from it? Just people that were close to you, whether it be family or friends? What, what was that experience like
1: um, yes I felt like I felt like I did try to keep them informed I felt like they were very interested but you know again it's limited like yeah. I didn't have a lot of information He did a great thing that was super helpful to me as a mom he would send out a he would send out a letter every now and then an email oh, that's nice. um, and kind of had like aunts and uncles and cousins and um, grandparents and parents involved and some family friends just kind of, you know, very cursory, just kind of a generalization of what was going on for him. And that was incredibly, yeah. incredibly helpful, you know, and I really appreciated that. And so people were in the loop. The people that I would have been speaking with this about mm-hmm. were pretty much in the loop based on that. And of course, you know, he was always, when I would connect with someone, have you heard from your son? Have you heard from your son? And yeah. that was, um, that was. but then the thing that we were told is like not to put anything on social media and not. To yes put in pictures anything uh, with tabs anything that somebody could ident- was identifying in any way shape or form and there were several times when friend- his friends or uh, well-meaning relatives and friends yes. uh, would post that on social media and you know a little more detailed than would have been acceptable and I just remember those things trying to shut that down very quickly. But Mm -hmm. other than that communication, you know, just telling them what you could tell them. And then those letters that he, those emails that he did send out were incredibly helpful. And then I didn't feel like it was upon me so much to have to do that with them because they had it straight from him. And that was like, all I couldn't say any more than what he had already said.
0: Well, that's great. And it takes a little bit of that pressure off you because even if you understand what he's doing, they have all the words, like, even as my, a wife of a of a soldier, I can't use all the right words, even though I've been in this <laughs> for so long, to explain exactly his job and exactly who's he's doing it, exactly who he's working with. And so it's really nice when they're able to do that. And then you can answer the questions that do work for you, but you're not trying to come up with all the perfect lingo to really exactly. explain the job.
1: I would have done poorly in that. <laughs> so good,
0: yeah. Another thing that I've found and so have some of my listeners is it can be really interesting and challenging have the, the important people in your life. They, they're they very interested. They really care, but there's no way they can get it because they haven't gone through it. They won't ever go through it at this level, but they they seek to, they want to support you and connect with you on this experience that you're having. And so that's another thing that I try to help them problem solve a little bit is, you know, either just saying, you know, it's okay that they don't get it and they never will, or find ways to connect with them in a way that, 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 they, that the people in our lives will at least sort of appreciate what we're going through because it's so, it's so Huge, and they want to be there for us, but it can be challenging.
1: I would ac- actually ask people to send him a letter or send him, oh, you yeah. know, and they're, you know, I would like this, like, would you be willing to send him a letter? And that mail call, I think is so important for them that like hard copy. We're so used to being in an instant world, but something that was tangible, something that they could, you know, that he could hold on to. And, you know, if I felt like there was a person that might be really the perfect person for him to hear from in a, in a, in a certain period, based on the little bit of information I did have, I would, I would reach out and I had my little network that supported me so beautifully and supported him. And um, they, they were terrific about that.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Another question that I have for you is that I'll notice in myself and in my clients that when we go through these deployments, these harder times, that we tend to go into survival mode and like necessarily so at times. But I've just been kind of studying and analyzing this with my clients how we're not meant to stay in survival mode for survival mode for so long. And I work with them on ways that they can kind of free themselves from that survival mode. Like maybe they go into it necessarily like right when their soldier leaves, but then to be able to pull themselves out of it to have a really high functioning deployment rather than we without realizing it will stay there like the whole nine months they're gone or whatever because it feels so necessary, but then we really suffer from that. So do you have any experience with like anything like that?
1: Um, I would say that like the, as I say, those first few days were just grueling. I mean, yeah. grueling. I, I, I just grueling and you know, then I got my equilibrium back and was a little bit back on balance and it got a little bit easier. And then as I could, would know where he, he physically was and what he was, you know, that, and once I could see him via FaceTime or something like that, that was so helpful. But I just feel like, you know, exactly what you said, Jesse, it's so important that we not stay in that survival mode. And yeah. I feel like, I I think I felt like I had released that, like, okay, he wouldn't want me just being so, I don't, can't even think of another word other than survival mode. He wouldn't yeah. want me in that place. He wouldn't want me to be living my life that, in that way. So I did, you know, made every effort to live my life. Normally,
0: yeah. Yet I
1: will say, when he came home, and I met him when he came home and hugged him for the first time, I cried like I have never cried, and 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 I breathed in a way that I know this may sound ridiculous, but I didn't realize how tense. I had been and that it was just, it was a release that I had never experienced before or since. And it was just like, I guess just a, um, you know, just he's back, he's alive, he's whole, mm. you know, that was just, that was one of the most, I, I will never forget that moment.
0: Mm, that's so beautiful. Well, and you can see how, even though you were making a lot of efforts to live your life normally, you were still like holding your breath. And that's really
1: really genuinely holding my breath. I were breathing when I hugged him, like in a way that I guess I hadn't in nine months. Yeah.
0: Mm, that's so powerful. And so I try to really help my clients see that it's, it's safe to breathe even when they're gone, even when we're not sure. It's important
1: because like, we yeah. need to be at our best to best support them. Yeah. You know, and that's, I could tell myself that and I believed I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And as I say, with, if I only had the tools that I have now, what a difference I maybe could have made. But, yeah. um, you know, I did go to that place where, you know, I need to be at my best. I need to be performing at my best. Yeah, um, to be my best for him, you know. Even though we weren't together, you still in your mind are very connected. Yes, and you know, obviously, I didn't realize to the degree that 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 I do now how important that is. But you know, in my mind, we were connected, even though we were often weren't. And just you know, that just was it was. I just had to take care of me and it was important that I took care of me. And when I would, you know, purpose, think on purpose um, and remember that, that was very impactful. And, you know, I would see kind of a resurgence in my energies and my efforts and I felt more purposeful in those moments. Mm, That's so
0: good. You had shared with me a story on on a previous call, you and I had, of what it's been like for your... son to transition out of the military and he recently got married can you go ahead and just tell me that story again
1: oh i'd love to my son was married in may of this sh- of 2019
0: mm, congratulations. And,
1: uh, well thank you thank you she's uh, and she's absolutely wonderful and so and um, this is the girl that actually had supported him through all of um his post west point work so at this wedding a lot of these guys had separated from the military in 2016 because their five-year commitment was up Um, There were still some that were in, some that had re-upped for various things. But the majority of his friends that um, I had known at West Point had, had separated in 2016. And it was absolutely staggering to me because, you know, they had, they, you know, they had been the best of the best to to get into a West Point. They, you know, that had started the system where, you know, everything was very regimented, you know, very regimented. Mm -hmm. And I felt like what I saw in these guys, they, many of them have very successful careers, but it's still this sense of kind of being lost, not, because they're not operating in their military way. And that was a, you know, a nine year, at least a nine year experience in, you know, a relatively young person's life. And they just it's that the regiment, the the schedule, like you know, you're going to be at PT at this time. You're going to be on this helicopter at that time. You're going to be in this class at that time. You're going to be doing this. You're going to be deployed on this day, You're coming back. You know, everything was so regimented, and it's like in their daily round now they don't have that. Mm. And and I ha- I can't tell you how many of them spoke to me about just kind of feeling lost, and that was. You know lost or they haven't found themselves yet and i think it's that camaraderie that brotherhood um yeah. and I, I will say that everyone I knew that was in the military was a man, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. So that when I say brotherhood, I mean that literally. And at that time, Rangers didn't accept women. A lot of them were Rangers. And so it was just this sense of brotherhood that, that they hadn't been able to rediscover in their civilian lives. This sense of purpose, I think, you know, they lived, they did this work on purpose.
0: Yeah. And,
1: you know, a career, it might be something you enjoy that you love, but I, I didn't get the sense from any of them that it was as purposeful as the experience, the experience that they had had in the military, mm-hmm. and then just the uh, the the routine of everything was, you know, they're very disciplined as a result of their military experiences, and they were doing their best to recreate that, but the routine that was imposed upon them was no longer there. Mm. And many of them are entrepreneurs. So again, you don't have any, you know, any boundaries, any uh, anything put into place for you, like this is how a corporation does it, this is what we're going to do. And so it was just a very, for me, it was really, interesting that they, that almost their footing, they hadn't found their footing in the civilian world yet.
0: Mm. And would you say that your son is is or was having a similar experience or? I would say, I you know. would say,
1: I would say that he's still struggling. He is an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and he's done some things to really, you know, in, in the community in which he lives, he's done things to, you know, he has, is trying to get his business to where he only hires veterans, you know, with that. Um, and then he, he quickly realized that this routine was very important to him. And, you know, in terms of when he gets up, I get up, I go work out, Uh, you know, even that the physical, you know, the PT, the physical bit isn't, is no longer imposed on you. That's something you do. And, you know, when they're used to being in fabulous shape and all the rest. And so it was very interesting. But I do find that he um, he's had to really implement a lot on his own.
0: Interesting. Implement a
1: lot of systems that aren't in our daily rounds as civilians. That well, In the same way that a, a soldier would experience that.
0: So your specialty as a life coach is working with athletes we're going to get into that a little bit right now and what have you seen like what got you interested in that and what have you seen we've talked a little bit about kind of the comparison you make sometimes between soldiers and athletes are pretty similar some of that regimented and
1: yeah it has been eye-opening to me and and really fascinating I am a mindset coach for professional athletes and you know we look at a professional athlete that may be making millions of dollars and you know their lives look so great on the outside but how they're feeling on the inside isn't so terrific in many, many cases. And what I have come away with in my work with professional athletes, as I said earlier, I have three sons and through them, a lot of their friends ended up being professional athletes. And that was kind of my connection. And then it was just I guess it was, was it a year ago that the NBA, for example, said that, you know, that there there had been several famous players that said mental health was such an issue in the NBA mm-hmm. and that they these players had come out and talked about what they were struggling with. So the NBA put in play, put a mental health professional on every team.
0: Oh, great. And,
1: and so what that was, that was like, kind of like, oh, this is, this is something that, that really speaks to me. And so that's how I got involved in the, I had made, decided that that was, going to be my niche and then it just timing was absolutely perfect but what I see so much a player that I'm a professional basketball player that I I know he said you know a professional athlete really has dies two deaths once one when they leave their sport and another when they actually die and Mm -hmm. that is that when he said that to me it, it brought up soldiers to me immediately I just find that you know with an athlete um, I, I'm gonna use basketball just to make it simple yeah you know uh, you know this is when we have to be at the arena we're gonna have a walkthrough we're gonna have a practice you know go to you know go work out with the trainer uh, go get your therapy um, be on the be at, be at the airport at this time be on the plane at that time when we get to the hotel you're gonna do your walkthrough you're gonna have your meal you're gonna uh, we're gonna bus to the arena you know it's just very, very, very regimented. And they're, you know, they have, they do end up having a lot of free time, but their, their time is very, very scheduled. And I find the exact same thing. It's like when, if they go through an injury or they are you know, or they're, or they're released from a team, it's, it's so They feel lost. Yeah. They feel yeah. lost. They feel, uh, they don't have lack of purpose again brotherhood. Um, I do work with uh, male athletes. So it's again, that brotherhood, that team, this purpose. And then with, I often find that when my athletes have an injury, you know, they might go down to the G League, they're with they're, you know, they're not in the flow as they were, they don't have that sense of purpose, or when they're released from their team. Again, it's just, it's, um, it is that first death, so to speak. And I think it's, I think it's the lack, lack the, there's not the re, re, routinization that we see um, in their daily rounds that they have, you know, as when they are playing a sport or when they are in the military. And again, I just find those Um, that to be a big big issue for them and it's some of the you know some of the toughest situations I have come up are when a player's injured and kind of out of that routine Mm -hmm. or when they are when they separate that's a real if they've done coaching um, prior to being separated or released from the team that that they, they have been able to prepare themselves and that's where we see you know and I just think about soldiers if they could get this help and you know just to be able to prepare and to know what is on the other side of this. Um, and I don't, I just think it's kind of like you're thrown in there and you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing, but that one of these days is going to come to an end for both an athlete and a soldier. And, um, it's a very, very tough time in their lives. It's a, it's, it's a loss of identity. I would say, you know, again, it's, it's ironic. They both wear uniforms. They both, um, they both are part of a team and uh, or a unit, and it's just like it's all lost.
0: Well, so do you think that the, the regimented schedule, what that provides for them, is just knowing exactly what's expected of them at all times? And then when they, that's put on them, like when they become an entrepreneur or or leave sports, suddenly they don't they don't have those pathways of you know no one's expecting anything of them.
1: No, and you know and it, they and,
0: have uh, to create that.
1: Yeah, they have to create that, and that's where I think this work becomes so purposeful because. Rather than just you know living at the effect of circumstances. Yep. Um, with with coaching they can they discover that they can think on purpose that they can choose their you know choose what life looks you know we're at the effects of our brain all the time we have some 60,000 thoughts a day that come through our brains at least and you know people that haven't worked with their brains just go they just let their brains control them and then when mm-hmm. we can start thinking on purpose and deciding what life is going to look for us on the other side and we get to choose that we're not living at the effect of a society. We are choosing on purpose how our lives are going to be, and that can. Im- involve a routine, that can involve working out, that can involve, you know, a very disciplined routine, works, routinized work schedule. And so that's what, you know, that's what they're tasked with. I think post-military and post, um, you certainly know that better than I, but post-military or post-sport, it's, it's a, it's a rude awakening for those that haven't prepared.
0: Yeah. One powerful thing that I've learned applying these tools to myself is just that even if I have patterns or pathways that were more familiar, that I can create new so, like in the example that we were just talking about, they can recognize Yeah, I'm used to knowing what other people are gonna expect from me at all times and that's really comfortable, that's familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in this discomfort of no one expects anything of me, but I can create new patterns. I can be my own boss if I'm an entrepreneur. I can, you know, I'm gonna create the new familiar pathways for myself. Like just to know that you can do that with your own brain is life-changing. I didn't know that I guided my brain that way. I thought I just was like at the effect of my circumstances and what my brain was already doing. I didn't know that I was such a pivotal role in telling my brain. What to do. You
1: know, it's like it is so powerful and so life changing. And it's something that I picked up on that you said is that, you know, the discomfort of creating it and that we can learn that being uncomfortable is not, is nothing to be afraid of. It doesn't have to be painful. You know, it's what we're thinking about that. And that discomfort that is really when we're in discomfort is really when, when we're giving ourselves the opportunities to propel ourselves forward. Mm. Because if you're just in, you're comfortable and you're just living at the effect of your brain and you're not making decisions and you're not living purposefully, you're not designing your life. That is, that is comfortable our brains want to go to that place and so when we're doing something different and we're taking charge and we're thinking on purpose and controlling what our thoughts are and and designing our lives and outlining how it's going to be it's it's puts us on the path that propels us forward
0: oh, so is that something you work with your athletes on a lot the discomfort on purpose
1: oh well our coach Brooke Steele, the quote i believe it goes something like discomfort is the currency to your dreams mm. and I love that quote because um, if you're dreaming, and you're comfortable, you're not doing something right. right? You know, and, and, and I love, I've heard Brooke say in the past that she lives to be in discomfort and she has created some amazing things. And, you know, she says, I know when, that when I'm uncomfortable and I've discovered that for myself and my athletes, I often will close my calls by saying to them, you know, I hope you have a really uncomfortable day. And they yes. know they, they laugh now at my <laughs> saying that because they know that if they are being uncomfortable and they're challenging themselves and they're challenging their thoughts, that the, the result of that is going to be a much more productive day. And, you know, what I see with athletes is that, you know, a lot of times I'm, I don't coach them on their sport, but if they can get their thinking straight. And they can start thinking on purpose and designing their lives that, that, that they get a one up, it inevitably impacts their, it impacts the results of how they're playing it, barring it, mm-hmm. of course, or something like that. But it does okay. positively impact them and positively affect them. And so, you know, and I see the same thing with my son, the steps that he's taken in, the, you know, the processes that he's put in place for himself. It's basically him recreating that routinized lifestyle that he had in the military as best he can as a civilian
0: yeah I love the way Brooke talks about discomfort because it's like not only does she allow it but she invites it in and it's not that you would go seek it out but it will it occurs naturally and it will occur right. naturally in life and you're like come on in like I, I've got you I'm I'm great at feeling uncomfortable like that is that is such an amazing mindset to take on and I wonder with your athletes it's interesting because obviously they know how to deal with that discomfort they work really hard in their sport which can be very uncomfortable like physically and oh, yeah. all the things they've had to put themselves out for but then I wonder if it's in their normal life when the discomfort comes that they're like wait 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 I'm willing to be uncomfortable on the court but not so much in my normal life
1: I'll put my body through anything you know I'll put yeah. my body through anything I'll challenge myself I'm going to be the best in my sport but what what ends up happening is um you know as I say they an athlete's life is very regimented but there uh, there is a lot of free time yeah um And, you know, we start seeing them buffer with a lot of things and, um, you know, turning, they have the money to do whatever they want, to buy right. whatever they want. And um, so once they get those, once they s- step out of that and they take charge of their minds and take charge of their brains and take charge of their thinking and design, start designing their lives and designing the person that they want to be in the world, you know, who you are on the, in among your teammates and on the court is a very different person probably than who you are in the world. Yeah, And they have the luxury of having a platform, you know, a platform, Platform to make effect change in the world mm-hmm. and so once they can see that they can they can control this brain and that they can they they are just destined for greatness. And they, you know, it's easy to coach an athlete because they're so used to being coached. Yes. Uh, And that's, so that's fascinating, but it, it is so important for them to realize that that same discomfort that they, you know, experience emotionally and physically in a game or in training that, you know, they're not afraid of that. They've done that forever, but that same sort of discomfort when it comes to their thinking and managing their minds can be at, Equally as rewarding as that physical discomfort that they go through to be the best they can be.
0: Oh, and they can create that same willingness in their regular life and, yeah, and they, really benefit. Yeah.
1: They create it,
0: you know. That's so good. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you today. I want to know if any of my listeners are excited about your specialty and what you have to offer, how could they get a hold of you, Michelle?
1: Okay. um, The best way to get a hold of me is my email is Michelle. That's Michelle with one L. Michelle at MichelleDemetrio.com. And my um, website is MichelleDemetrio.com.
0: Wonderful. Spell that out for us, and I'll also link to it in the show notes so that they won't have a problem.
1: It's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, and then Demetrio is D-E-M-E-T-R-I-O-U.
0: Perfect. Okay. I will put a link to that in the show notes, and that right. way they can get a hold of you if they're interested. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us and a little bit about your, your specialty, your niche, and your life coaching experiences. It's been such a pleasure to have you on today.
1: I so appreciate being invited, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks, Michelle. Bye-bye. Bye. Wasn't Michelle awesome? It was really such a pleasure to work with her and get to know her a little bit more. And that's what I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go to my website, simplyresilient.net, to download my free guide to thriving during deployment. I also love when you share this podcast with your friends and rate and review it. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.